0: Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Future and Innovation Podcast. I'm Nihal Helmi, Knowledge and Communities Manager here at the Center. Our Global Perspectives 2021 hybrid experience was as exciting and inspiring as you'd expect. We gave our communities the opportunity once again to immerse themselves in themes and workshops designing common strategies to address key trends, challenges and opportunities of shifting power. We have created these episodes to bring you some of the conversations and panels we experienced during the conference. We hope you find them as insightful and valuable as we did.
1: Hi, I'm Miriam and as Head of Collaboration and Partnerships, I get to engage with our work and partners on four key topics. First, Enabling Environment for Civil Society, and that's our Solidarity Action Network, SANE. Second, the Leave No One Behind partnership, focusing on SDG data of underrepresented communities. Third, the Global Standard and Dynamic Accountability. And fourth, our growing portfolio on power shift and Decolonizing Development. So I'm very excited to speak today to one of our very close partners, Viveka, why don't you say a few things about the work that you do?
2: Thank you very much. And I'm very eager to participate in this podcast. My name is Vivica Karlestam. I work as a senior policy specialist in CEDA civil society unit. So I work with civil society and develop new policies and methods in a way to advance the work we do. And I would like to underline that in CEDA's civil society unit, we only work with long-term development cooperation, because in CEDA there is a completely different department and strategy that guides the work that relates to humanitarian assistance. So when I speak now, it will be only about civil society working with long-term development cooperation. And I have been working for 30 years in development, cooperation, and always with civil society. So I have a lot of experience by now, and mainly from Latin America, but also working and living in the Middle East. Looking forward to this discussion.
1: Yeah, that's great to know a little bit more about the work that you do and also about your history and, and what you focused on in the past. So I want to kick us off now. We're talking about power distribution in the international development and civil society sector. And since you represent a major funder in the sector, why don't we talk about money directly? Let's start with this very important question about the financial flows of civil society organizations, or CSOs, and their funding. There was an OECD study in 2020 that found that 93% of all DAC members' funding for CSO work goes to DAC domestic CSOs, or international CSOs, ICSOs, while actually only 7% goes to CSOs directly in the Global South. So from your perspective as a bilateral funder, how do you assess this? What are your thoughts about this?
2: Well, thank you, Miriam. That's a very, very interesting and very structural information that the OEC study gives us. And my thoughts about it is that we are, in a way, still stuck in an old-fashioned perception of aid as charity. Perhaps connected all the way back to the 70s, at least here in Europe, and the development cooperation structure hasn't really adjusted to the move from charity and aid to development cooperation based on human rights and the SDGs. And I'm thinking that a human rights-based approach implies that the state is the duty-bearer and the citizens are the rights-holders and the state is obliged to provide the human rights of the population. And also, it has been stated many times that all SIDA's work must be based on human rights perspective, which then means that it is primarily a political work as opposed to charity or aid. Anyway, so this perception from the 70s and the concept of charity still seems to hold us in its grip, focusing on aid and projects, which are photographable and easily measured and short termed, instead of realizing that development cooperation is as political as any societal change and reform taking place here in Europe too. From our own experience, we know that it is non-linear, it is conflictive. It takes many, many years for us to change structures in our European countries. So, why don't we accept that it takes time and it is unpredictable and it is complicated and it is conflictive in other countries too? I believe that this perception has led us to a situation where we have gotten used to delivering, and I often call it technical solutions to political problems. So we have made development cooperation technical in this sense because we can manage technicalities. We have become technocrats. (laughs) And we are afraid of the unpredictability of political work and the conflicts and risks that it entails, not to mention the challenges and threats it would mean to the ones in power. So I would say that we have gotten used to the present setup and the very unequal financial flows that the OECD study highlights. And we tend to trust our own CSOs, our own domestic civil society organizations, and some INGOs, international civil society organizations, because we still have this so-called white gaze when it comes to global South civil society. And we still seem to believe that we have the right to claim interpretive precedence, meaning the right to decide what is good and what is right. I came across a report recently. It is called Time to Decolonize Aid. It is based on a huge global consultation, and it was published by an organization called Peace Direct. And this report captures really well when they highlight the fact that structural racism still exists, and that donors, INGOs and policymakers we all need to acknowledge this so that we will be able to tackle this problem. Finally, to answer this first question, we also have the international commitments to development effectiveness which are in brief four principles. It is local ownership, it is focus on results, it is inclusive partnerships and mutual accountability and transparency. But I ask myself, are we walking this talk? Is there still not a huge gap between policy and practice? Even, and this is kind of uh, shocking in a way I would say, Many DAC member states or DAC countries, they still have tied aid for development cooperation funding to their own domestic civil society organizations, and that includes Sweden. And this is just one example of, I would call it structural awkwardness that needs to be changed if we are to actually walk the talk about development effectiveness, shifting power and reaching a fairer flow of funding between northern and southern CSOs.
1: Thanks a lot, Viveka. This is a really rich answer, and you touched on many different important points. I really like the phrase of structural awkwardness. Maybe <laughs> we can go into that. You touched on sort of the political versus the technical dimensions of development cooperation. I think this is something that a lot of our listeners will be able to connect to. You also mentioned the Time to Decolonize Aid report and actually the very important connection to those discussions about structural racism in the sector and how, how interlinked it is really with all those power shift discussions. They cannot go anymore without that dimension. And the white gaze is particularly something that we will also be looking at during Global Perspectives, actually also with the authors of the Time to Decolonize Aid um, oh, that's report. Excellent. But I wanted to connect to one of the points that you mentioned, and that was trust. The point about we trust our um, domestic civil society organizations more than the Global South CSOs. I've actually heard you talk earlier in other meetings around this need of a new narrative and, and the new narrative around actually trust and capabilities of Global South CSOs. Could you share with us a little bit more of your thinking here
2: well i certainly question the the present narrative of our in a way forever weak and untrustworthy global south cso's because i would claim on the contrary that today global south cso's are often very 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 capable perhaps it is connected to the fact that they have especially when it comes to swedish civil society support, they have been receiving capacity building for the last 50 years. And so I think we need to stop justifying INGOs and DAC domestic CSOs as the sort of middlemen or intermediaries in the chain of development cooperation now that local or global south CSOs are often more capable than this intermediary. And they also rightfully ask, and I have met several of them, they often ask, when will they graduate from the capacity building? When, after massive investments in capacity building, when it comes to leadership, internal systems and risk management, Project application writing and reporting, etc. 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 Will they be supported and trusted in their own right and as independent civil society actors? Also, one can ask capacity for what? Is it capacity to comply with donor requirements or is it capacity to mobilize people in movements and? change political structures what actually is the capacity meant to be used for and who decides when it is there when is it installed when when is it finished <laughs> which leads to even another question what will the new partnership relationships look like now that the global south cso's more often than not are strong and capable, and all they really need is funding. And they would also prefer long-term trust-based core funding. But do we trust them, or will we prefer to maintain this present setup with INGOs as intermediaries, even though it is not necessarily development effective, and it is very costly, I would say, And it would just cement this present setup. As you mentioned in your first question, Miriam, about the unequal financial flows that the OECD study informed us about. So if we need to change, if we want to change, we need to question also this narrative that we build the development cooperation architecture upon.
1: Yeah, I think this is a very important part of the story, right? How do we actually break down that narrative? Who actually perpetuates it? How do we maybe sometimes also unwittingly perpetuate it? But then we're also, all of us, I mean, CEDA, but also the International Civil Society Center and our core stakeholders, We don't just go along with a trajectory that we can't influence, right? We are part of the actors that need to change and need to do things differently. So if we continue with that thought, from the bilateral funders' perspective, in this case, Swedish CEDA, what do you think is then really required to enable or maybe rather accelerate power shift in the development sector?
2: Okay, well... Again, as you underline, the need for a new narrative is, is essential. And that new narrative would then obviously talk about the great capacity of Global South CSOs and how fundamental they are in contributing to the SDGs. And this has been mentioned in many places. Actually, in the UN General Secretary's call to action on human rights 2020, He specifically underlines the necessity of public participation and civic space to reach the SDGs and how enabling civil society actors requires that we support them in their own right and as independent civil society actors. Mostly today, and I have worked, as I mentioned in in the introduction, for many years with civil society Actors. What Global South CSOs need is funding, and we all know that, and they need political allies helping them to push for policy change at all levels. I would even dare to say that they don't need sporadic and administratively burdensome, short-term, donor-driven project support often that comes with a risk. And it also happens that it hinders them in their struggle and and it distracts them from their mission. So in a sense, our present setup is doing harm in a way. So, So it's urgent that we change. And we should also further invest much more in global south, political platforms where they can strategize and they can co-create and they can have think tanks and they could forward funds etc to their own civil society and perhaps the donors should take a step back and not interfere necessarily in their doings and these platforms they could be global they could be regional or national or sub-national But it aims to strengthen global civil society actors, global South civil society actors as a whole and as the democratic pluralistic force it can be to counteract on shrinking space and and to have them become stronger in the dialogue with donors. And, And so helping them to set their own agenda, so to speak. And we should also make sure to have much more systematic dialogue and consultations in Global South with civil society, where we should be allowing them to take the driver's seat and us, donors, to listen to them and support them politically and financially. Consequently, this leads us to the discussion about the roles and the added value Of the ingos and the duck domestic CSOs, and the fact that they need to be redefined now that the world has changed very much since the 70s, and considering that the ingos can no longer justify this role as intermediaries when global civil society actors, Global South civil society actors, are strong and capable and often much better placed to judge what needs to be done and how in their own context. So donors like us, Sida, we need to make a self-critical power analysis of ourselves and explore new ways and approaches to collaborate and support civil society in Global South with direct support, with core support, Multi year, flexible, trust based collaboration. And again, we cannot shy away from development cooperation being political work. And therefore, it is, we must realize that it is by definition messy, it is unpredictable, it is risky, conflictive, and hard. Plus, it takes very long to change political and cultural structures which are the causes of poverty and injustice. Also, it's about challenging power and power relations, questioning privileges, and all that is very sensitive and hard. And we, I think many of us would just like to, you know, do that next week or talk about it somewhere soon, but not today, because it's difficult, it's sensitive.
1: Yes, I really like your point about bringing it back to how, it's, how it is so political and how it is actually about political alliances also, political solidarity, something that I think we, we've talked a lot about in the space of when we talk about the enabling environment for civil society organizations and actually making that shift from aid to solidarity But I wanted to touch on this other point. I mean, you mentioned now how CEDA is looking very critically at itself and the way it wants to continue funding, or it wants to change its funding, and for which stakeholders. And I think it is very exciting to hear the pathway that you're looking at. But of course, you're not the only bilateral donor. And these things have to, if we all want to move in the same direction, we have to move together, right? Yes. So we were particularly excited to see this latest OEC Duck recommendation, where there's actually now scope potentially for many bilateral donors to move into a similar direction. So that recommendation, I think it was published in July, implicitly addresses power shift. So I would like to understand from you, what are your expectations of the implementation of this recommendation and how this might actually be able to affect the system? And what could actually civil society actors also do in order to propel those changes?
2: We are extremely happy and we are very, very hopeful. And we assess that this recommendation is key to this reform, so to speak, of our overall development cooperation when it comes to civil society. And I'm so very pleased that we actually managed to have this recommendation approved. It, As you said, it was approved in July, this summer, and that we managed to have all the 30 DAC member states on board. It is A recommendation is a legal instrument within the OECD DAC. It is not legally binding in the sense that people will be thrown in jail if they don't fulfill the recommendation, but it's morally binding. And in theory, at least, a country who ignores a recommendation can, in theory, be thrown out of the duck community. So it, it has strength to it, which is excellent. And so several of the duck members, of the 30 duck members, several of them do not, at this moment, necessarily even have a strategy for civil society support or definitions about what civil society actually is or some kind of policy that comes to how they would like to work with civic space. So this recommendation is really something extremely positive that has happened to all of the OECD DAC countries, I would also like to just mention that there are only two other recommendations. So this is recommendation from DAC number three, which also makes it stronger, so to speak. And I also would like to say that CEDA has supported this work in the DAC since 2017, both with funding and with a secondment, that means a person placed in, in the OECD DAC, to make this Recommendation was the goal, so to speak. So we are particularly pleased about the adoption of the recommendation. And it is also very much based on CEDA's guiding principles for engagement with and support to civil society a document that we published during the the Stockholm Civil Society Days 2019. Also, the overarching goal of the Duck recommendation is for, obviously, Duck donors to be much more development effective in their engagement with and support to civil society. And briefly, I want to mention that the recommendation is built up from three pillars. The first one relates to civic space and how donors must respect, protect and promote civic space. The second one relates to how we support and engage with civil society and that those ways must be much more development effective. And the third pillar talks about incentivizing or helping the civil society organizations themselves with their own development effectiveness transparency and accountability. The recommendation in itself is super heavy tech, as they tend to be often, but I will just mention a few things that I find extremely positive from the text. And that is that it talks about that we must give much more support to civil society organizations and not through civil society organizations. So supporting them in their own right and as independent actors it also talks about that we must be giving much more direct support to global south civil society organizations and much more core support that is flexible that is uh, predictable it is long term etc cetera, etc cetera, so that it enables civil society actors in global south to adjust to changing environments and so on We must also find ways to urgently support grassroots movements, networks and informal actors also because the change agent potential that they often have and to make sure to leave no one behind. And it also talks about the necessity to support Global South led and initiated platforms and alliances at global, regional, national and sub-national level and that there must be much more systematic dialogue and consultation at the partner country level. It says also, and this has been long for many, 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 many years, the need to decrease administrative requirements and simplify procedures in the partnerships. And that we must move from the short-term donor-driven support to long-term, trust-based, flexible, mission-driven support. And that is obviously the Global South CSO mission. (laughs) And I would just like to add a few things. We all need to work together in the DAC community to develop tools and methods and to help us to fulfill the recommendation and to follow up on it. So that is happening now, the toolkit needs to be developed and we need to help each other. But parallelly, talking about how this recommendation helps us to push forward our positions, so to speak. By the time you listen to this podcast, there will have been arranged an event here in Sweden. It was on the topic of redefining power and partnerships Time to Decolonize Civil Society Aid. And it was arranged by the Swedish civil society organizations themselves, illustrating how they find this topic of power shift and redefining roles is most important and fundamental even for the Swedish civil society organizations. And I was very glad to to see that. And we have decided to link in the conclusions from the event that took place in October. We will link it in to a CEDA arrangement that we organize regularly. It is called Development Talks. We will arrange a Development Talks on the 8th of December. It is open for anyone to participate, anyone who likes. It is completely digital and it will also discuss on the topic of redefining roles and power and partnerships. So we are very happy to be part of the global discussion that is now taking place about the very necessary power shift that we all see. I also would like to chip in that we as CEDA are participating very actively in A global project that is called Ringo and it is about Ringo means reimagining the INGO the international NGO reimagining the uh, INGO so there are many many discussions going on about the power shift and I am very optimistic about the duck recommendation helping us in this direction and I hope that we will do this self-critical power analysis of ourselves all together so that we can contribute to this change that we see is very necessary.
1: It's really great to hear about those discussion offers that CEDA is making. I think a lot of our listeners will appreciate the opportunity to engage more with CEDA and also hear about the leadership that you're taking as part of the oecd duck donors in yeah really moving moving the needle forward here you mentioned ringo just quickly whenever you listen to this podcast if it is before third of november then you'll be happy to hear that in the afternoon cest Um, you'll have the opportunity to also interact with colleagues from Ringo and hear more about their work and the way that you may be able to engage with them. Viveka, I would actually love to talk to you much longer about all of this, (laughs) but I know that we in the future will probably have more opportunities for that. I certainly hope so. I believe
2: we do. I believe we do. Many more opportunities.
1: Yes and hopefully it will be only talking about what we will do because that's what we what we need right more more action and only the conversations that are necessary to bring in all the necessary actors and actually move us really forward. So this is what Global Perspectives is also going to be about, to really see how can we actually achieve change. And this conversation has really moved my thinking forward. And I think it has um, for many listeners and also it was really informative about the OEC Doc recommendation that I hope if listeners haven't already looked into, you will do so now. We will link it in the podcast notes. And then it's also for us as civil society actors to hold bilateral donors to account on this right yes let's see how that works (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for your time today and we all look forward to seeing you during global perspectives
2: thank you it was very nice talking to you and i also look forward to global perspectives
0: you can find links to more information and resources on this topic in the podcast description thank you for listening to us